0: Chapter Twenty Six of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This Librebox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six. Hannah Heath's wedding day dawned bright enough for a less calculating bride. David did not get home until half past three. He had been obliged to drive out to the starting place of the new railroad near Albany, where it was important that he get a few points correctly. On the morrow was to be the initial trip by the Mohawk and Hudson Railroad, of the first train drawn by a steam engine in the state of New York. His article about it, bargained for by a New York paper, must be on its way by special post as soon after the starting of the train as possible. He must have all items accurate, technicalities of preparation, description of engine and coaches, details of arrangements, etc., before he added the final paragraphs describing the actual start of the train. His article was practically done now, save for these few items. He had started early that morning on his long drive, and, being detained longer than he had expected, arrived at home with barely time to put himself into wedding garments and hasten in at the last moment with Marcia, who stood quietly waiting for him in the front hall. They were the last guests to arrive. It was time for the ceremony, but the bride, true to her nature to the last, still kept Lemuel waiting, and Lemuel, true to the end, stood smiling and patient awaiting her pleasure. David and Marcia entered the wide parlor and shook hands here and there with those assembled, though for the most part a hushed air pervaded the room, as it always does when something is about to happen soon after their arrival someone in purple silk came down the stairs and seated herself in a vacant chair close to where the bride was to stand she had gold hair and eyes like forget-me-nots she was directly opposite to david and marcia david was engrossed in a whispered conversation with mr brentwood about the events of the morrow and did not notice her entrance though she paused in the doorway and searched him directly from amongst the company before she took her seat, Marcia, who was talking with Rose Brentwood, caught the vision of purple and gold and turned to face for one brief instant the scornful, half merry glance of her sister. The blood in her face fled back to her heart and left it white. Then Marcia summoned all her courage and braced herself to face what was to come. She forced herself to smile in answer to Rose Brentwood's question but all the while she was trying to understand what was in her sister's look that had hurt her so. It was not the anger, for that she was prepared. It was not the scorn, for she had often faced that. Was it the almost merriment? Yes, there was the sting. She had felt it so keenly when, as a little girl, Kate had taken to making fun of some whim of hers. She could not see why Kate should find cause for fun just now it was as if she by her look ignored marcia's relation to david in scornful laugh and appropriated him herself marcia's inmost soul rebelled the color came back as if by force of her will she would show kate or she would show david at least that she could bear all things for him she would play well her part of wife this day the happy two months that had passed since david came back from new york had made her almost feel as if she really was his, and he hers. For this hour she would forget that it was otherwise. She would look at him and speak to him as if he had been her husband for years, as if there were the truest understanding between them, as indeed of a certain wistful pleasant sort there was. She would not let the dreadful thought of Kate cloud her face for others to see. Bravely she faced the company, but her heart under kate's blue frock sent up a swift and pleading prayer demanding of a higher power something she knew she had not in herself and must therefore find in him who created her it was the most trustful and needy prayer that marcia ever uttered and yet there were no words not even the closing of an eyelid only her heart took the attitude of prayer the door upstairs opened in a business-like way and Hannah's composed voice was heard giving a direction. Hannah's silken tread began to be audible. Miranda told Marcia afterward that she kept her standing at the window for an hour beforehand to see when David arrived, and when they started over to the house. Hannah kept herself posted on what was going on in the room below as if she were down there. She knew where David and Marcia stood, and told Kate exactly where to go. It was like Hannah that in a moment of her sacrifice of the long-cherished hopes of her life, she should have planned a dramatic revenge to help carry her through. The bride's rustle became at last so audible that even David and Mr. Brentwood heard and turned from their absorbing conversation to the business at hand. Hannah was in the doorway when David looked up, very cold and beautiful in her bridal array, despite the years she had waited and almost at once David saw the vision in purple and gold like a saucy pansy standing near her. Kate's eyes were fixed upon him with their most bewitching, dancing smile of recognition, like a naughty little child who had been in hiding for a time, and now peeps out laughing over the discomfiture of its elders. So Kate encountered the steadfast gaze of David's astonished eyes but there was no light of love in those eyes as she had expected to see. Instead, there grew in his face such a blaze of righteous indignation as the Lord of the Wedding Feast might have turned upon the person who came in without a wedding garment. In spite of herself, Kate was disconcerted. She was astonished. She felt that David was challenging her presence there. It seemed to her he was looking through her, searching her, judging her, Sentencing her and casting her out, and presently his eyes wandered beyond her through the open hall door and out into God's green world. And when they came back and rested upon her, his look had frozen into the glance of a stranger. Angry, ashamed, baffled, she bit her lips in vexation, but tried to keep the merry smile. In her heart, she hated him, and vowed to make him bow before her smiles once more. David did not see the bride at all to notice her, but the bride, unlike the one of the psalmist's vision whose eyes were upon her dear bridegroom's face, was looking straight across the room with evident intent to observe David. The ceremony proceeded, and Hannah went through her part correctly and calmly, aware that she was giving herself to Lemuel Skinner irrevocably yet perfectly aware also of the discomfiture of the sweet-faced girl-wife who sat across the room, bravely watching the ceremony with white cheeks and eyes that shone like righteous lights. Marcia did not look at David. She was with him in heart, suffering with him, feeling for him, quivering in every nerve for what he might be enduring. She had no need to look. Her part was to ignore and help to cover. They went through it all well. Not once did Aunt Amelia or Aunt Hortense notice anything strange in the demeanor of their nephew or his wife. Aunt Clorinda was not there. She was not fond of Hannah. As soon as the service was over and the relatives had broken the solemn hush by kissing the bride, David turned and spoke to Rose Brentwood, making some smiling remark about the occasion. Rose Brentwood was looking her very prettiest in a rose-sprigged Delane, and her wavy dark hair in a beaded net tied round with a rose-coloured lute-string ribbon. Kate flushed angrily at this. If it had been Marcia to whom he had spoken, she would have judged he did it out of pique, but a pretty stranger coming upon the scene at this critical moment was trying. And then, too, David's manner was so indifferent, so utterly natural he did not seem in the least troubled by the sight of herself. David and Marcia did not go up to speak to the bride at once. David stepped back into the deep window seat to talk with Mr. Brentwood, and seemed to be in no hurry to follow the procession who were filing past the calm bride to congratulate her. Marcia remained quietly talking to Rose Brentwood. At last David turned toward his wife with a smile as though he had known she was there all the time and had felt her sympathy. Her heart leaped up with new strength at that look, and her husband's firm touch as he drew her hand within his arm to lead her over to the bride gave her courage. She felt that she could face the battle, and with a bright smile that lit up her whole lively face she marched bravely to the front to do or to die. I had about given up expecting any congratulations from you, said Hannah sharply as they came near. It was quite evident she had been watching for them. I wish you much joy, Mrs. Skinner, said David mechanically, scarcely feeling that she would have it, for he knew her unhappy, dissatisfied nature. Yes, said Marcia, I wish you may be happy, as happy as I am. It was an impetuous, childish thing to say, and Marcia scarcely realized what words she meant to speak until they were out, and then she blushed a rosy red. Was she happy? Why was she happy? Yes, even in the present trying circumstances, she suddenly felt a great deep happiness bubbling up in her heart. Was it David's look and his strong arm under her hand? Hannah darted a look at her. She was stung by the words. But did the girl bride before her mean to flaunt her own triumphs in her face? Did she fully understand? Or was she trying to act a part and make them believe she was happy? Hannah was baffled once more as she had been before with Marcia. Kate turned upon Marcia for one piercing instant again that look of understanding, mocking merriment, which cut through the soul of her sister. But did Marcia imagine it? Or was it true that at her words to Hannah, David's arm had pressed hers closer as they stood there in the crowd? The thought thrilled through her and gave her greater strength. Hannah turned toward Kate. David, she said, as she had always called him, and it was possible that she enjoyed the triumph of this touch of intimacy before her guest, you knew my friend Mrs. Leavenworth? David bowed gravely, but did not attempt to put out his hand, to take the one which Kate offered in greeting. Instead, he laid it over Marcia's little trembling one on his arm, as if to steady it. "'We have met before,' said David briefly, in an impenetrable tone, and turning, passed out of the room to make way for the Brentwoods who were behind him. Hannah scarcely treated the Brentwoods with decency, so vexed was she with the way things were turning out to think that david should so completely baffle her she turned an annoyed look at kate who flashed her blue eyes contemptuously as if to blame hannah soon the whole little gathering were in the dining-room and wide hall being served with grandmother heath's fried chicken and currant jelly delicate soda biscuits and fruit-cake baked months before and left to ripen The ordeal through which they were passing made David and Marcia feel, as they sat down, that they would not be able to swallow a mouthful, but strangely enough they found themselves eating with relish, each to encourage the other perhaps, but almost enjoying it, and feeling that they had not yet met more than they could be able to withstand. Kate was seated on the other side of the dining-room by Hannah, and she watched the two incessantly with that half-merry contemptuous look, toying with her own food and apparently waiting for their acting to cease and david to put on his true character she never doubted for an instant that they were acting the wedding supper was over at last the guests crowded out to the front stoop to bid good-bye to the happy bridegroom and cross-looking bride who seemed as if she left the gala scene reluctantly marcia for the instant was separated from david who stepped down upon the grass and stood to one side to let the bridal party pass the minister was at the other side marcia had slipped into the shelter of aunt amelia's black silk presence and wished she might run out the back door and away home suddenly a shimmer of gold with the sunlight through it caught her gaze and a glimpse of sheeny purple there close behind david standing upon the top step quite unseen by him stood her sister kate marcia's heart gave a quick thump and seemed to stop then went painfully laboring on she stood quite still watching for the moment to come when david would turn around and see kate that she might look into his face and read there what was written hannah had been put carefully into the carriage by the adoring lemuel with many a pat and a shaking of cushions and an adjustment of curtains to suit her whim It pleased Hannah, now in her last lingering moment of freedom, to be exacting and show others what a slave her husband was. They all stood for an instant looking after the carriage, but Marcia watched David. Then, just as the carriage wound around the curve in the road and was lost from view, she saw him turn, and at once knew she must not see his face as he looked at Kate. Closing her eyes like a flash, she turned and fled upstairs to get her shawl and bonnet. There she took refuge behind the great white curtains and hid her face for several minutes, praying wildly, she hardly knew what, thankful that she had been kept from the sight which yet she had longed to behold. As David turned to go up the steps and search for Marcia, he was confronted by Kate's beautiful smiling face, radiant as it used to be when it had first charmed him. He exulted, as he looked into it, that it did not any longer charm. David, you don't seem a bit glad to see me, blamed Kate sweetly in her pretty childish tones, looking into his face with those blue eyes so like to liquid skies. Almost there was a hint of tears in them. He had been wont to kiss them when she looked like that. Now he felt only disgust, as some of the flippant sentences in her letters to harry temple came to his mind his face was stern and unrecognizing david you are angry with me yet you said you would forgive the gentle reproach minimized the crime and enlarged the punishment it was kate's way the pretty pout on the rosy lips was the same as it used to be when she chided him for some trifling forgetfulness of her wishes The other guests had all gone into the house now. David made no response, but nothing daunted, Kate spoke again. I have something very important to consult you about. I came here on purpose. Can you give me some time tomorrow morning? She wrinkled her pretty face into a thousand dimples and looked her most bewitching, like a naughty child who knew she was loved in spite of anything, and coquettishly putting her head on one side, added, in the tone she used of old to cajole him. You know you never could refuse me anything, David. David did not smile. He did not answer the look. With a voice that recognized her only as a stranger, he said gravely, I have an important engagement tomorrow morning. But you will put off the engagement, she said it confidently. It is impossible, said David decidedly. "'I am starting quite early to drive over to Albany. "'I am under obligation to be present "'at the starting of the new steam railroad.' "'Oh, how nice!' said Kate, clapping her hands childishly. "'I have wanted to be there, and now you will take me. "'Then I, we, can talk on the way. "'How like old times that will be!' "'She flashed him a smile of molten sunshine, "'alluring and transforming.' that too is impossible mrs leavenworth my wife accompanies me he answered her promptly and clearly and with a curt bow left her and went into the house kate leavenworth was angry and for kate to be angry meant to visit it upon some one the offender if possible if not the nearest to the offender she had failed utterly in her attempt to win back the friendship of her former lover She had hoped to enjoy his attention to a certain extent, and bathe her sad heart in the wistful glances of the man she had jilted, and incidentally perhaps be invited to spend a little time in his house, by which she would contrive to have a good many of her own ways. A rich brother-in-law who adored one was not a bad thing to have, especially when his wife was one's own little sister, whom one had always dominated. She was tired of New York, and at this season of the year, the country was much more preferable. She could thus contrive to hoard her small income, and save for the next winter, as well as secure a possible entrance finally into her father's good graces again, through the forgiveness of David and Marcia. But she had failed. Could it be that he cared for Marcia? That child! Scout the idea! She would discover at once! Hurriedly, she searched through the rooms downstairs, and then went stealthily upstairs. Instinctively, she went to the room where Marcia had hidden herself. Marcia, with that strong upward breath of prayer, had grown steady again. She was standing with her back to the door, looking out of the window toward her own home, when Kate entered the room. Without turning about, she felt Kate's presence and knew that it was she. The moment had come she turned around her face calm and sweet with two red spots upon her cheeks and her bonnet kate's bonnet and shawl kate's fine lace shawl sent from paris grasped in her hands they faced each other the sisters and much was understood between them in a flash without a word spoken marcia suddenly saw herself standing there in kate's rightful place kate's things in her hands kate's garments upon her body kate's husband held by her it was as if kate charged her with all these things as she looked her through and over from her slipper tips to the ruffle around the neck and oh the scorn that flamed from kate's eyes playing over her and scorching her cheeks into crimson and burning her lips dry and stiff and yet when kate's eyes reached her face and charged her with the supreme offense of taking david from her marcia's eyes looked bravely back AND WERE NOT BURNED BY THE FIRE, AND SHE FELT THAT HER SOUL WAS NOT EVEN SCORCHED BY IT. SOMETHING ABOUT THE THOUGHT OF DAVID, LIKE AN ANGELIC PRESENCE, SEEMED TO SAVE HER. THE SILENCE BETWEEN THEM WAS SO INTENSE THAT NOTHING ELSE COULD BE HEARD BY THE TWO. THE VOICES BELOW WERE DROWNED BY IT, THE FOOTSTEP ON THE STAIR WAS AS IF IT WERE NOT. "'At last Kate spoke, angered still more by her sister's soft eyes, "'which gazed steadily back and did not droop before her own flashing onslaught. "'Her voice was cold and cruel. "'There was nothing sisterly in it, "'nothing to remind either that the other had ever been beloved. "'Fool!' hissed Kate. "'Silly fool! "'Did you think you could steal a husband as you stole your clothes?' Did you suppose marrying David would make him yours, as putting on my clothes seemed to make them yours? Well, I can tell you he will never be a husband to you. He doesn't love you, and he never can. He will always love me. He's as much mine as if I had married him, in spite of all your attempts to take him. Oh, you needn't put up your baby mouth and pucker it as if you were going to cry. Cry away. "'It won't do any good. "'You can't make a man yours "'any more than you can make somebody's clothes yours. "'They don't fit you any more than he does. "'You look horrid in blue, and you know it, "'in spite of all your prinking around and pretending. "'I'd be ashamed to be tricked out that way "'and know that every dot I had was made for somebody else. "'As for going around and pretending you have a husband, "'it's a lie.' You know he's nothing to you. You know he never told you he cared for you. I tell you he's mine, and he always will be. Kate, you're married, cried Marcia in shocked tones. How can you talk like that? Married? Nonsense! What difference does that make? It's hearts that count, not marriages. Has your marriage made you a wife? Answer me that. Has it? Does David love you? "'Does he ever kiss you? "'Yet he came to see me in New York this winter "'and took me in his arms and kissed me. "'He gave me money, too. "'See this brooch?' "'She exhibited a jeweled pin. "'That was bought with his money. "'You see, he loves me still. "'I could bring him to my feet with a word to-day. "'He would kiss me if I asked him. "'He is weak as water in my hands.' Marcia's cheeks burned with shame and anger. Almost she felt at the limit of her strength. For the first time in her life, she felt like striking, striking her own sister. Horrified over her feelings and the rage which was tearing her soul, she looked up, and there stood David in the doorway, like some tall avenging angel. Kate had her back that way and did not see at once but Marcia's eyes rested on him hungrily, pleadingly, and his answered hers. From her sudden calmness, Kate saw there was some one near, and turning, looked at David. But he did not glance her way. How much or how little he had heard of Kate's tirade, which in her passion had been keyed in a high voice, he never let them know, and neither dared to ask him, lest perhaps he had not heard anything. There was a light of steel in his eyes toward everything but Marcia, and his tone had in it kindness and a recognition of mutual understanding, as he said, If you are ready, we had better go now, dear, had we not? Oh, how gladly Marcia followed her husband down the stairs and out the door! She scarcely knew how she went through the formalities of getting away. It seemed as she looked back upon them that David had sheltered her from it all, and said everything needful for her, and all she had done was to smile and assent. He talked calmly to her all the way home, told her Mr. Brentwood's opinion about the change in the commerce of the country the new railroad was going to make, told her though he must have known she would not listen. Perhaps both were conscious of the bedroom window over the way, and a pair of blue eyes that might be watching them as they passed into the house. David took hold of her arm and helped her up the steps of their own home, as if she had been some great lady. Marcia wondered if Kate saw that. In her heart she blessed David for this outward sign of their relationship. It gave her shame a little cover at least. She glanced up toward the next house as she passed in and felt sure she saw a glimmer of purple move away from the window. Then David shut the door behind them and led her gently in. End of chapter 26